friends, Andy Saluda here. And as always, I want to welcome you to another edition of the Weekly Clergy Roundtable. Again, I'm Andy Saluda of the Hollywood Film Gospel Baptist Cathedral in Amityville, New York, as well as the Queens Ministry of New York City. I am surrounded today, as you see, by several clerics from around the country. We're going to uh, allow them to introduce themselves. And then we're going to engage in a rather robust conversation that uh, I pray you will find both uh, informative and inspiring. It is our thought and our intent uh, to tackle topics that are of relevant concern to where we are in the church world today, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. So, again, I'm Andy C. Luter of the Hollywood Full Gospel Baptist Cathedral in Amityville, New York, and the Queens Ministry of New York City. Let's uh, move to the first of our two archbishops from North Carolina. Uh, grace and peace to you this morning, and welcome to our show for the day. Archbishop Dennis Scarfin in Raleigh, North Carolina, living in favor of Global Network and the Global Conference of Bishops. Thank you, Archbishop. And then our second Archbishop from North Carolina. Good morning, grace and peace. I bring greetings from Goldsboro, North Carolina. I'm the senior pastor of Tehillah Church Ministries and the presiding prelate of Tehillah International Fellowship. And because we always seek to make this an inclusive conversation, we have a bishop designate from the state of Iowa. Good morning. I greet you in divine love. We bring you greetings from Cornelia Ministry, Full Gospel Baptist Church in Waterloo, Iowa, where we're connected, people connected to God and people connected to each other. I look forward to being here with my brethren today. Thank you, Bishop Desiree. We're delighted to have you today. And then uh, the actual lead to our conversation today will be Bishop Hines. Bishop Hines, say hello to us, and then we're in your hands. Good morning, beloved. I am Bishop Audie Hines, hailing from the great city of Richmond, Virginia, where Metro Community Ministries is the work that, that God has entrusted to my care. I'm with my colleagues, and I am glad to be able to enter into some sensitive but needed dialogue in and around the kingdom of God. And Continuing from last week, we had interesting dialogue around where the church lines up in this political climate and how we are responding and taking a position that is reflective of who we are and whose we are. And so I want to stir the pot this morning, if you allow me, uh, around the thought of as kingdom leaders with a kingdom culture, how we now need to turn our attentions to what's happening in the political atmosphere and how we have to take a position uh, of the kingdom voting mindset. We all need to vote, but we have to have a kingdom vote. And a kingdom vote then is a, a vote of accountability. It is a vote, I believe, that is not a Republican or a Democratic Party posture, but is what does God say in the spaces of issues that are impacting the people of God? And so if you are representing one party or the other, we as faith leaders are held responsible to approach it from a lens of where is God in your plan? Where is God leading you in the decisions that you're making in and around the issues that impact my people? For the word of God was very clear. He says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that means you got to get in his presence <laughs> and turn from our wicked ways, then we'll hear from heaven. And then he can come and heal our land. And so how are we challenging our congregants to get out and vote? How are we 
giving them good, wise counsel of not deferring to a party line, but a kingdom line. I think that is extraordinarily fascinating. And I thank you uh, for titillating our minds, uh, Bishop, with this thought and this approach. I'm going to go to uh, Archbishop Goffin as we begin today. And uh, in response, I am curious, Bishop, and I, and I share this with all of our panelists today, I think Bishop Hines is absolutely correct. And his quotation from the Old Testament is so very, very accurate if my people who are called by my name. And I want to begin with you, Archbishop, because are we not challenged that we have a variety of people who at least claim to be called by the name of God? And because we're not uniform, I think one of the things that we said uh, yesterday is that Christianity operates and functions within the cultural context of the people who are practicing that Christianity. And so uh, the question that I have is whether or not all kingdoms are the same. And so if all kingdoms are the same, then there would be uniformity of thought and we all would be saying the same thing, all be thinking the same thing. But I do believe that the harsh reality is that there is pluralism in the, in the kingdom, in the body of Christ. And many Christians, or those who are called by the name of the Lord, approach it from a variety of perspectives. Now, how do we then figure that into the equation and the, and the excellent quotation that Bishop Hines has given us today uh, in terms of what the Bible says? Archbishop. Uh, well, Bishop Luda, uh, thank you for the um, summary of where Bishop Hines is. And I wish, I do wish, we had a biblical worldview on the ballot and we could vote between uh, biblical worldview from the others. Unfortunately, we don't. Um, we have um, we have Democratic, Republican, which is an individual vote, not a collective vote for the body of Christ. That would be great. Uh, kingdom, as Jesus defined it when he was before Pilate, so this kingdom is not of this world. If it was, then, then would my subjects fight for me. But unfortunately, we, we now deal with the kingdom in terms of the spiritual aspect. Romans 14 and 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And the church is a multicultural uh, entity. It is not a one cultural entity, nor is it a one national entity. So we in America now are looking at working within the societies that we're in. What we see that individual Christian groups find themselves working within the societies that they have been placed in. Uh, we have not been called, and I'll make this statement, we have not been called to change societies. We've been called to call people out of societies into the spiritual kingdom of God. I often mention Colossians 1, when it says he's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So I think that we have learned to, uh, as a kingdom, people exist in every society that we're in, uh, in terms of offering prayer. And Paul mentions that in 1 Timothy 2, that prayer ought to be offered up for all I'm just going to sum it up for all leaders in all categories. And his reason is so that we could live peacefully among everybody. So the, the church has been called to live peacefully. We've been called to call people out of society. And so because, you know, we can't change society itself, but we can change people who are in society. So I think that would be a summary of where I'm at with this position. And, and if I could just follow up for, for just a second, and you know I have this preoccupation with history, Archbishop, uh, and, and, and what you're describing sounds so similar to a fourth century mentality that was uh, birthed by Anthony of Egypt, where he called the Christian, what he called the church out of a secular setting, which gave birth to monasticism and asceticism. So are, are you suggesting that we perhaps revisit or take another look at monasticism in terms of uh, coming out of uh, a secular setting and pushing people into more of a spiritual setting, even a spiritually monastic setting? Uh, no, I'm not. I think what monasticism missed, that whole idea of monastics 
what they, they sort of divorced themselves from society. Jesus prayed in John 17 that his disciples would be kept in the world. Let's not take them out of the world, but keep them in the world. I think we can exist within society, but with a different mindset. As Bishop Hines brought out, we need a biblical worldview uh, of society. So we need to be counter society in our thinking, but it doesn't mean we can't exist alongside. Uh, I spent time for a few years living in Mexico City, for instance, living while well, I was living in mountains from Mexico City, but Mexico City itself, there are 80 different languages spoken in Mexico, 80 different languages. They all exist around each other and together. And it's interesting to see so many cultural languages in one geographical location. And so I think that what we are doing, we could be in the world, but not of the world. So I think we don't need to divorce ourselves from society because how else are we going to bring people in the light if we're away from society? So I think but what, what we're uh, advocating here is that we may not be able to change the system that is existing, but we can pull people into a different mindset. Paul said we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So our thinking needs to change. And so even though we have people who may pop up all over the world with different thinking, uh, it is not that we're divorcing itself from the society or even trying to say, change society itself. Again, I'll say that we're trying to change people within societies with a different mind for it. Thank you. Thank you, Archbishop. Thank you for that clarity. I think that's so very, very important. Um, Archbishop Fred, I wanna to come to you. Uh, in days gone by, uh, especially in recent years, Vietnam, World War II, uh, even World War I, the, 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 the lines of division were clearly drawn between a God-believing forces, army, military, and then those who had disavowed any connection with deity, God, Christianity, or the religious world. Uh, but historically, uh, people who were on both sides of the uh, Christian political aisle, I'm thinking the 100 Years' War, uh, which took place four or 500 years ago, where both sides were claiming to be fighting for God. Uh, how do we identify what is a kingdom position and who is actually representing the righteousness of God, Archbishop. Thank you, Bishop. You always throw something at me. Uh, listen, but the thing reminds me of this. I believe that what Bishop Goffin said also in leading up to what you're saying is that as we change the atmosphere, we can't change how they do things, the system itself. But we got to go back to history. Remember what happened with Troy. We couldn't get, they could not get over the, fed, the walls. They could not get in. So they built the Trojan horse. And they got in the horse and they got beyond the barriers. I think that as the body of Christ, we have to get beyond the barriers. We have to find out the Trojan horse to get inside to begin to change some things or be the light that we're supposed to be. So now going back into if we change what we see from the inside, that means we have to consciously prepare the people who are kingdom minded. Our young people are those who are wanting to get involved in social services and those who want to to have a message of the kingdom from the inside out. Then the light will shine. Now we go back to the statement that you had the original question. I think that we have to begin, the America was never a Christian society. It wasn't, it started had the ideas about that, but we, were, we are a republic. And, and so therefore everybody was welcome. Everybody was there. So the war that we have is spiritual, not necessarily natural. And so how do we decide? We have to use the Bible as our guide. What does the scripture say? What is even in our voting? Who, which, which party is leaning toward godly uh, uh, values, biblical values? Let's say that, biblical values. What do we do? Because we're between a rock and a hard place. If you remember, it, um, times ago, they had to decide, the Catholic Church in particular, um, what was more important, tradition, or the scripture? Which one made more sense? Which one do we follow? There's a lot of tradition that's out there. We now have what is more important, the scripture or culture? We, ha we have to figure out which one, biblical view or culture? Because what we're trying to do, we're fighting a war that's even for my community, we're 
or 14% of the nation, but what the decisions we make is gonna affect everyone. So as a believer, we have to look further than just in our little community. We have to find out where we're going that glorifies God. Exactly, exactly. Thank you, Archbishop. Bishop Desiree, let me come to you and just kind of shift the conversation a little bit because you are a female in ministry, and I'm sure that you would attest to the fact that some, at, at, at various points, even in the history of the church, even in the history of the modern church, that uh, Christianity has not always treated women as uh, equal members of this kingdom that we're talking about today. So how do we hold the church accountable to righteousness, even when the church is guilty of practicing some of the discrimination that we have seen in recent years, especially toward women? Amen. Well, I grew up in a family where I had five brothers and also, and I was the seventh child. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I think what was instilled in me was to always go back to the source, to really the word of God, and to embrace that in your own image and also to um, look through it through the lenses of God. And I believe that the church has not always done that, I would say the church, but I believe that uh, Jesus never changed, God never changed. He always called us to the to a, a high righteousness. He was always inclusive. Uh, he always made the exception with women. But uh, so because of that, I have never felt inferior. I always felt special and I probably demanded that respect, whoever I was. But. Uh, I believe that in today's society, even, that um, we cannot compromise the word of God. Many times we have interpreted wrong. Uh, many have just um, gone along with what someone else said and not really understood what he was saying. And so, and I do know that we have to look at the Bible too in the context that some of it was written in and, and I've had form criticism and things like that. So I've always in up looking at it differently. And I've always believed the church, the true church could not compromise the message because Jesus was inclusive. Uh, God was inclusive. He was always on the side of the press and, uh, and he did not make a difference between men and women, but we did. And so I've stood on that and, and I've always, I didn't have to defend who I was, but I always, go back to the word of God and the source of the word because the message we cannot compromise that he always there was a balance and um, I just stood on the word <laughs> and that's what I stand on now <laughs> excellent excellent uh, Bishop Hines we're going to bring this back to you and I do think that Archbishop Flinger is correct when he says that uh, America is not a Christian nation per se it certainly started out having a conversation with uh, uh, with the with the principles of kingdom and some affection toward religiosity in this country. Uh, it does not escape me that the first colonies in this country, which would eventually become states, were populated by uh, religious communities and religious audiences. When we look at uh, Massachusetts, it was the dissidents that came from England, the now Presbyterians, uh, Rhode Island had the Baptists, uh, of course, Maryland had the Catholics, where you are, Richmond, Virginia, Virginia was populated by the Anglicans. And so there was some affinity toward religion and a sense of the kingdom at the outset of the country. Where did we lose it, Bishop? And how do we get back to at least having a consciousness about the kingdom in terms of what we do, sir. You're muted, you're muted. That is a whopper of a question. <laughs> in my opinion, this is just my opinion, we lost it when we allowed our cultural position to become our spiritual position. 
And the culture that we live in here in the West had classified certain people in certain groups under certain levels of oppression. And so that pressure of the cultural biases has crept its way into the church. The same behavior in the community now has happened within the Christian community. And so to your question, I would say that we need to go back and um, revisit what Overseer talked about. Let's line up scripturally. All of us have various cultures in America. We have a cultural identity. I love me some soul food. And it, I connect with that. But then my exposure to my Filipino brothers and sisters turned me on to some lumpia that tasted just as good as some gumbo. And so that exposure, come on now, you, Slater, you know what I'm talking about. And so the, the, then I start to explore the Italian community and how the Italian food and the sauces on the meat made them very different because it came from a cultural position. Well, let's bring it to the church. We have to now help those that subscribe to a posture of being a Christian that we must now subdue our cultural biases and elevate ourselves to our kingdom culture because our kingdom culture leads is led by the word of God. And so I'm not so concerned about like they posed the question to Jesus. You know, what should we do? The Pharisees and the Sadducees always tried to trap the greatest example of mankind. But instead of them trapping him, they exposed themselves. Uh. What they did was, he said, you render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And that's the separation where we as Christians, black, white, yellow, or brown, have to separate ourselves and say, we're going to follow the Jesus model. We're going to walk according to the way the scripture says we need to walk. And in doing so, we're going to find that our cultures separative are more inclusive when we find ourselves in the Christian kingdom model. The question becomes, Republican or Democrat, they don't trump our kingdom culture. We hold them to the standard of what the word of God says, if it says, do not kill, steal, rob, uh, or forget about the poor, or uh, not participate in same sex, whatever the word of God says, it's not my posture, but it's the kingdom of God's posture that should draw us believers, especially in the West, closer together. I spend time in my evangelical brothers and sisters spaces because I have to help them to embrace a kingdom culture, not a, um, a biological culture that they were a superior people over another people. And that's where we need to dig in and begin to fight by educating to bring about a paradigm shift. Let's vote for a kingdom culture. Thank, thank you, Bishop, and I am intrigued. And, uh, and, and so very, very interested, fascinated by this uh, entree that you have to the evangelical community. I want you to kind of expand upon that a little bit because what many of us observe is that there is a bit of a dualism or a parallelism, or maybe even a double standard. I'm gonna talk about that in just a moment, but I want you to <clears throat> help us understand from a wider perspective, what are the challenges of dealing with uh, the evangelical community, obviously, has a different agenda and a different set of priorities than those in the Black religious experience. Well, when you come from a place of substance, when you come from a place of generational wealth, when you come from a place of being bred into a mindset of classism that then morphs into racism, 
even though we read the same text and we use the same Sunday school book, it is a variation of how we apply the scriptures that separates us at this point. It's the application and we've been wooed into going with a party, which divided us because those that come from the evangelical community, you know, they use the, our biblical scriptures to woo us into connecting with a carnal party, abortion and same sex. They draw us in because they know that's our principle. But that's not all of our principles. Mm -hmm. That's where they bond themselves with their cultural identity and then try to couch it as a kingdom identity. And that's where we have to work, even with our, same for our African-American and our Latino brothers and sisters. Our cultural identity, scripturally, is different from our cultural identity biologically. And that's where I believe we can make much traction in bringing them into a center space. You know, they call it reaching across the aisle in the political world. We got to reach across the aisle and say, how can we become a kingdom party? What is it going to take for us to line up with our scriptural posture and then we tell Democrat and Republican that we will divide you before we become divided. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, Archbishop Dolphin, Bishop Hines has given us so much to think about and so much to talk about today. And uh, I want to kind of come here because one of the things that we talked about just a moment ago was uh, dualism or uh, parallel realities. Just this past week, the last few days, I released a video blog that talked about an undeniable display of a double standard. And I want to ask you, are we seeing a double standard or are we being overly sensitive? Are we being uh, racially paranoid when we go back four years, take a look at the efforts of Barack Obama to supply the Supreme Court with a nominee according to the Constitution? that was thwarted, that was rejected, uh, supposedly because we were in an electoral year. And then we now see that the same person who chided President Obama for uh, trying to put a person on the court in electoral year in under 40 days is attempting to do the same thing. And from being a person of color and a member of the minority community, I cannot help but wonder whether or not this is driven by a racial agenda. Does the fact that President Obama was a black man uh, give leeway and license to uh, those who opposed him then? And now that the shoe is on the other foot and the racial uh, component is not a part of this discussion, they're far willing to do now what they were not willing to do four years ago. Now, I'm sure someone argued that this is an issue of Republican versus Democrat. But from my perspective, are we not seeing the double standard that when a black man attempts to do that, which is according to the Constitution, he's not allowed to do so, but when a white person is uh, given the same opportunity in a shorter period of time, he is given license and leeway that the black man was not. Is this a political issue or are we being overly sensitive and seeing this and interpreting this as a racial issue and a double standard based upon race? Bishop, I think we're seeing both here. I think it's a political issue and a racial issue. Um, I grew up with the uh, statement, if you're white, you're right. If you're black, get back. So I think that um, in light of that, I don't think we're being overly sensitive because we can see the climate of the news every day. We, we see uh, what's happening in terms of systemic racism that's going on in this country. It took us 100 years to get to the Civil Rights Act, even from the emancipation. So now here we are again, it seems like our rights don't matter. 
we've got video now. I mean, what else can you do but see what's going on? We see them with their foot on our neck, their arms around our neck. You know, uh, we're seeing being shot unarmed. I mean, and, and we see that it's a disparity in terms of what's going on. So I, I don't think we're being overly sensitive. I think we're being realists. This is the real world. And uh, the real world isn't kind. Uh, often we have to, and, and you know, we're protesting uh, and, and we're making statements, but the greatest statement in this country we can make, I will say right now, is the vote. Because it's, it's the voting that, that's so important and we're seeing that. Yesterday I saw the news where people were standing in two hour lines just to have an early vote. They don't trust the, the mail for the ballot. They're waiting too, and people are not being impatient. They know how important this vote is critical, this, this particular term. So they're, they're waiting and they're, they're wearing, weighing in. And I think we'll have to look at this both ways, not only from the political agenda, but also from the racial agenda. But in, in all, in the world, Jesus said, you're gonna have tribulation. As far as us as in believers individually, but in me, you're gonna have peace. And I think that inward peace settles in our heart, no matter what the turmoil in the world. But I think we got to stop uh, idealizing the fact that America is God's people. Uh, we're, we're not, we're the people of God, are anybody who's baptized and born again by the spirit of God, cross-culturally all over the world become the people of God, not any one particular nation. Because when we get that nationalist view, then we're, then we're now violating scripture in terms of where even Jesus said, as I started at the beginning, where the kingdom is now. The kingdom is not a nationalist kingdom. So we cannot look and say, oh, this is the new Israel of God. And I hear that quite a bit about America being God's people. And um, I see no indication in scripture that that's actually true. In fact, the scripture seems to indicate in all the pistols and all that the kingdom is cross-culturally. In fact, we don't see till later in, uh, Bishop Luda, you and I understand about church history that the eschatology of the first century was not even about building the kingdom. It was about get, leaving here to be with uh, the Lord of his kingdom. So once we got out of the persecution, the church suddenly realized, well, we're going to be here a while, so let's establish an institutional church. And let's get ourselves in reign and they decide to say, the, well, the emperor ruled the natural kingdom and the, the church ruled the spiritual kingdom. So they were going to coexist until... Jesus, that was that was the thinking of the church uh, from the fifth century on. So now we have this coexistence. There is the spiritual kingdom of God, and there's the natural kingdom. And we pray that God's will be done in the natural world. That's what he said. Pray that my kingdom come, my kingdom come. Not my kingdom is, but my kingdom come, and my will be done. And I think that's an important, because when we look at Revelation 7, when we discuss the, the, the angels holding back the the, the four winds that are blowing on the earth and until the people of God is settled. And I know we get hung up on the 12,000 from each tribe, but get on down and see that those who coming up, he saw a number. What he heard was 12,000 from each tribe, but what he saw was a number that no man could count. And then John says they come out of every nation, kindred, and tongue on the face of the earth. So I think what we're going to find is a blending that we didn't even think was going to be there as we move toward that aspect. Excellent. Thank you, Bishop. Archbishop Slater, I can always count on you to give us a balanced view so that we're not all in a single camp. So let me ask you, uh, are we being uh, a little uh, paranoid and overly sensitive when we see the events of four years ago as it relates to the Supreme Court and the current events that relate to the Supreme Court it is obviously a double standard, but is it, it, is it a double standard based upon race or is it a double standard based upon party affiliation? Um, hmm. I believe also what Bishop Garvin said, it, it can, it's both. Because one of the things we gotta look at is that we become so overly sensitive as a culture, you can't even hear the rationale of the other side. You don't even take time to listen and we miss the whole point because if we ever sit down and listen, we might find some commonality, some time of saying that, well, you know, you got a point, but we don't even wait for that. We start burning, we start tearing up stuff, we start yelling. You could say you were tired of all that's been going on, but this generation hasn't been through a thing. The one times passed when they were doing all that stuff. This generation, 
is, and we have been duped by it, especially the church, because what's going to happen when we come to play, we have to find out whether this brother that's next to me that looks like me has the same melanin like me, but the brother on the other side of me believes what I believe and loves the God that I love. Which one is really my brother? Which one do I stand with? And that's going to be a problem because we are so uh, narrow-minded that we have to stick with just because they black, we got the vote for them. No. What are you standing for? Why do you have this job? Are you qualified? Don't get up there and embarrass me because we have to understand there is a part where we have to uh, take responsibility for our actions. Going back with the, with the Supreme Court decisions. Now, when this, the biggest attitude I keep hearing is, is about abortion. Well, as a believer, we can't stand for abortion. We, we can't take that position. There's no way, not to say we're biblicists, we can't take that. So what do we say? Who do we stand for? And when we continue pushing this point, we run into problems. It's our community that suffers the most with Planned Parenthood. It's our community. But yet, we'll push an agenda to say, let's support them, let's support. And then it's like genocide, and we say it's okay. So then how do we, where do we flip-flop? We have to find out what standard are we going to stand for and stand for. The church, I have a particular problem with. We're too silent. We are supposed to be the voice of our community, but our community looks like hell. And we do nothing about it because we have our own agendas. And unfortunately, the preachers can't even come together. I don't know anywhere where the preachers should stand up and say, I'm still mad about Marilyn O'Hare. How'd she get prayer out of the schools? What were we doing? What was the church doing? What are we doing now? We're sitting in the way, waiting for something to happen instead of being the believers with the voice of God in our mouths and make a difference and step out of our own comfort zone. And so let me push you just a little bit on that Archbishop. And I do agree with you that, uh, that there are certain issues that are congruent with the political narrative that is in our community. But at what point do we juggle the, the varied uh, issues that confront our community and make a decision that's not based upon a single issue but multiple issues. Uh, mm. I certainly understand and applaud your passion as it relates to abortion, but the very same person who may uh, be most vocal and most compliant with Christian views on abortion also is in a position to retrieve and take back away uh, healthcare for over 21 million people in this country and revoke the ACA. So if it were a single issue, it would be an easy decision. Mm -hmm. But how do we reconcile the fact that some of the same voices that are most vocal in issues that we are concerned about are also the voices of opposition on other issues that we're equally concerned about? I think that we have to get in and like I said before, get in to make a change in our policies. We've got to look and do our homework and look at the fine writing. The fine print is there. And I think that the policies is gonna, you're gonna find other things that you may disagree or disagree with. We still have to talk about the alphabet people. You know, the, uh, we still gotta talk about that 1% that seemingly gets anything they want. And, and what about us? We still don't get what we need, but they seemingly, now they can make a statement saying that because today as a man, I can go into my wife's bathroom while she's in the restaurant because I feel like I want to be a woman today. What where does God fit in any of this? And, and then, it's, and you know, now they're trying to change the definitions of what that lifestyle is because in times past, we said it was a mental, itch, mental health issue. But now they're trying to say it's a culture now. But which one is it? What does the scripture say? And we go right back to the same back and forth. How do we come together and talk about, okay, you want this, but this is what we need here. 
But we have to have somebody on the inside. And I think that's the, that's the job of the church. We have to infiltrate and bring God in the scene, bring God in the system. Instead of going with the masses, instead of studying and seeing who we're dealing with, we have to study the enemy. And I think that's the problem that we have to do. Just get involved. Great, great. Thank you, Archbishop. Bishop Designate, I'm going to come to you, and um, I kind of leaned upon you throughout this conversation to give us a uh, female perspective. And there is an opportunity that is being uh, placed at the door of America with the inclusion of a Black woman like yourself on the ticket for president and vice president of the United States. I'm talking about Kamala Harris. And um, my question is, I'm recognizing the fact and certainly not wishing any sort of uh, calamity or negativity or predicting any negativity, but this is the first time in the history of our country that a woman of color has been placed on the ticket and poised to be the next in line. Now, everyone acknowledges that Joe Biden, as great a candidate as he is, is one of the oldest persons to ever run for the office, which makes the possibility of Kamala Harris ascending to the presidency uh, perhaps more possible than it has ever been before. As a Black woman, how do you respond to that? And how do you think we as a community ought to respond to the very real possibility that within our lifetime, we very well may see the first black president of the United States and the first black female president of these United States. Amen. I think it's been, well, it's been a long time coming and it's, it's overdue for sure. And I believe that Carmela um, has earned that right she has is very well qualified and probably more qualified than any that we've had in the past. And so my hat goes off to her. Um, I just believe that we as a people, we have to go back to um, the kingdom. <laughs> we have to go back to the fact that, uh, that even though I look at Martha and Mary, they both were different, but there was a, a balance there. Some say the church is too silent. Some says we're not. But I think there has to be a reality to know that Jesus' teaching hasn't changed. His, his, his values hasn't changed. He, he calls us to the highest righteousness. He calls us, his ethical training hasn't changed. And Pamela, uh, when I think about her, uh, Carmela, she is strong in her values. She um, uh, respects this respect. I have a lot of respect for her. And she's the type of person that is going to stand for what's right. And um, and there's no compromise there. I, I don't like to look at it. I know you want to keep saying women and men, but I grew up with boys and girls and they call the pot a pot, a skillet a skillet, you know. And I believe that I was raised that way. You know, uh, we had the same um, the boys had to do, we didn't have chores for men and chores for women. We all had to pull and do the same things. And so I do believe it all comes with the fact that, that you have to know who you are. And when you know who you are in God and you know who you are, then you can stand wherever you are. And I look at her as being a person like that. I, I, had, the, I had the opportunity to meet with her and to pray with her and to anoint her and to uh, speak life over this whole situation. So I believe that uh, we are about to see some things being changed around in this in the society. I believe that uh, we talk about the first shall be last and last shall be first, but I think it's happening right before our eyes. But we have to embrace that. We have to respect what God is doing. We have to see that he's doing it in his timing. And so we, as the kingdom of God, the people of God, we've got to stand on those and embrace that, encourage and uplift those people who are walking in that. Um, she didn't, uh, she has gained everything because she has done what she was supposed to do. She has earned it uh, uh, in her, just in her whole uh, worldview. She has 
worked hard at to get where she is and she and and she walks in integrity and she walks with respect and i as i say again respect begets respect she respects herself she knows who she is in the lord and she knows who she is in this whole arena and um and i believe that because of that we have to embrace that and we cannot compromise that. We have to embrace what she stands for and we have to know who we are. And so I don't feel like a second class person. I, I've always felt that, you know, I could do whatever anybody else could do. I, I know that, uh, and yes, I do believe there's racism there. There's a double standard, but I've always believed that we could rise above that standard. And um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly, but I do believe that, uh, this is the time that we should embrace her, undergird her, uh, lift her up and pray, encourage her and get out there and vote <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and be a voice. Because if we're not going to do those things, we're not going to help our situation as a people of God. My ministry has always been to bridge gaps, bridge cultures, uh, bridge genders. And, and in that, I've taken some pretty hard uh, uh, bumps, but... Um, I know that we can overcome and we cannot compromise uh, and we have to have the right motives of what we do. I don't care, uh, you know, people can be doing things, but if their motives are not right, it's not gonna succeed. So I just believe that uh, we're at a time where we're going to see the hand and the move of God in every area of our lives. Excellent, thank you, Bishop Designate. And uh, Bishop Hines, we're gonna give you the last word. You began our conversation and uh, we're gonna invite you to close our conversation. Uh, I've been around a little more than 60 years now. And during my adult life, I have uh, watched presidential candidates going all the way back to uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, Nixon, uh, Reagan, uh, Bush, Clinton, and of course, Barack Obama. And in all of that time, I never saw turnout the way I saw it in 2008, in 2012, with the run for the presidency by Barack Obama. I didn't think I would ever see that kind of turnout, particularly in our community, ever again. However, I am seeing November 3rd is not even arrived yet. Uh, over 9 million persons have already voted. We're in the midst of voting. I'm seeing people, hundreds of people, stand in lines for four <coughs> hours, six hours, eight hours to participate in the electoral process. So you began this uh, query of us today talking about a kingdom vote. When you see this massive turnout, 9 million people, two, three weeks ahead of election day, participating in the electoral process, what does it say to you about the future of this country, sir? That the people of God are concerned because God created all people. And I really welcome the notion that the people have decided they want to get involved, will no longer be innocent bystanders that complain after the fact. They want to be active participants in this due process. But let's not be fooled. The kingdom of God is no respecter of person. And in doing so, just because I'm an African-American does not constitute I'm going to serve the best interests of African-Americans. Let's not be fooled with that because we've been fooled before. But what we're looking for is what the Bible says. I gotta go back to the word. Let not your good be evilly spoken of. And if you're gonna be a voice and participate in the political system, let not your good be evilly spoken of. So if you're going to be pro dealing with the oppressed and concerned about the needs of the people and their health care and their welfare and their education, then 
also be a protector of what the scripture says and not allow yourself to participate in things that are ungodly because your good will be evilly spoken of. I have to say that. And then on the other side, you can't be a pretender of a Sunday school teacher on Sunday morning at 11, and then you go put on a hood at 11 o'clock p.m. at night and claim that you're a child of God. Let not your good be evilly spoken of. And so we speak truth to power. That's where we have to be as kingdom citizens and be a part of it and champion for righteousness as Archbishop Slater has referenced, we gotta get, we gotta be on the field. Every Sunday, there's 22 players. They're on the field and they're making it happen. But then there's another, it used to be, not anymore, 60 million that would sit in the stands and they would cheer and champion their, their favorite team, supposedly that they would have some kind of impact on their victory through their cheers. But then there's another billion that's in the parking lot and in the sports bars and in family gatherings. They're cheering too, and they have no impact on the end result. Why did I use that analogy? The kingdom citizens have to be a part of the 22 on the field that's making the plays, that's making a difference, that's holding the other team accountable with good defense and a good offense. And it's not about black, white, yellow, or green. It's about blood-bought individuals that stand on truth, and the truth is the word of God, and I'm going to ride with it, and I'm prepared to die with it. But you've got to take a position, because if you don't take a position, then you will be hoodwinked by the system that want to play on your value systems, but you really don't have a voice. Well, friends, there you have it. That's the uh, weekly clergy roundtable, or this is the weekly clergy roundtable for this particular week. I want to thank Archbishop Dennis Dolphin, Bishop Audie Hines, Archbishop Anthony Slater, Bishop Deputy Helen Finster for their contribution to this conversation. I want to thank you for hanging with us today and being part of our conversation. Those of you who have made comments on our Facebook page, we thank you for that as well. And tell a neighbor, tell a friend that every Tuesday morning, right around the nine o'clock hour, there is the convening of the weekly clergy roundtable. Until next time, you remember God loves you, we love you, and we look forward to seeing you real soon. God bless. <laughs>